All right, for the next couple of weeks, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 17 uh, again. And, I, and quite honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be missing hanging out in this passage. It has been a refreshing and stirring thing to just eavesdrop on Jesus praying to his father and to learn some things from the priorities and the nuances of angles that Jesus approached praying for his disciples, right? We call this the, uh, the John 17 project because Jesus had just spent the evening describing discipleship to those who have been following him. And he is preparing to pass that baton and he launches that ministry in prayer and the things that he prays about are about the future of discipleship. It was like this project that was in his mind coming up. And these were the priorities that were in his heart as he prayed. So lots to learn there. Um, but let me just encourage you, the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to spend time focusing on the incarnation, focusing on you know, the Christmas story and, and what it means. And, and next week, uh, you know, we, we are standing up a service that's under the heading of... Uh, uh, Lakeview Family Christmas, and, and it's focused on the dimension of, of really being family. Uh, but one of the things I, w- I hope sticks out next week as we gather together, and this is what I hope you'll want to gather others around, is there is this concept that is unique and powerful in all of our lives. It is the concept of family. There's something about it that nothing else in our lives can touch. You can have other relationships. We're grateful for that. But there's, there's nothing like family. And, and, and I say that knowing that on the one hand, oh my gosh, do you know my family? Right? The, the baggage and difficulties of that. Uh, but you know what that advertises? You know why there's so much baggage and difficulty with family? It is because our hearts are so open to these people. And they're so unique in our lives that when they fumble, fail, act like human beings sometimes, the impact of that is felt like a shockwave. And all that is simply resonating something that in in eternity, God has a design on our lives that's family-like. Now, be careful what you do with that. Because the Bible is going to pop some of our expectation balloons You know, we're not married in heaven. Uh, I'm not sure my kids will live on the same block with me. I know for some of you, you've managed to figure out how to get them to live on the same block with you here on earth. Congratulations to all of you. I wish I can pull that off. We're not sure. Um, But in the future, in glory, there will be this sense of family. God reveals himself to us as a father. But it's not going to exactly be like what we experience here. But this is supposed to kind of like introduce it. This is an introductory setting to something eternal. So there's something in the human heart that is longing for family. And you have friends, relatives, co-workers, people in your life. That is what they're experiencing in this world. They may not have been able to put it into words. They haven't been able to figure it out. They're really angry. They're bitter. They're frustrated because family went bad on them. But they're longing for family. They're longing for something in their hearts that God the Father has prepared them for. They just don't know how to find it. Well, you know, I don't, we've been encouraging guys to invite for next week. Next week as we feature this understanding of family, invite folks to come and be a part of that. And so we can 
talk to them about the fact that there is a heavenly father. He's got dibs on family and he's got a plan for family in each of their lives. And it may be that this Christmas season might be the moment for them to experience that family like never before in their lives. And we trust that's going to happen because you've brought them to be a part. So next Sunday morning at 10, we hope to see bunches of family members and uh, friends to be together here with us. But this morning, I titled the message this morning, I can't help this, but this comes out of my nerd engineering background. Jesus taught a dynamics course in anticipation of greater presence, greater glory, and greater manifestation. All right, let's just read the passage here and we'll unpack some of that. John chapter 17, verse 24. I'm going to pick up an earlier verse as well that says something similar. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. A little bit earlier, Jesus prayed something very similar, clarifies some of this thought. John 17, verse 5. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we are not reading words assembled by great men, historic men, brilliant men. But we are reading words inspired by your Holy Spirit, preserved for us, for the lives that we live, for the understandings that we have. And we get to listen in on the inspired words of the prayers of our Lord Jesus. And these words are filled with anticipation. Lord, we may be here this morning. I know I can come to many of these meetings lacking anticipation. I'm here. I'm doing life. I believe in you. I'm following you. But maybe the anticipation category is a little weak today. Maybe this season has drained me of some anticipation. Lord, would you invigorate in our hearts this morning in anticipation like you had in these prayers that you prayed in Jesus' name, amen. I don't want to lose the fact that Jesus anticipates something. Um, I think I wrote in your outline, in your notes there, to lose a proper sense of biblical anticipation <clears throat> will result in a stagnant and stifled journey of discipleship. <clears throat> Jesus has been teaching on discipleship. He's been talking to them about bearing fruit and what their lives were going to be like. He's been preparing them for the Holy Spirit to come and start a new day of ministry among them. But if those disciples ever find themselves in a place where they stop anticipating something, something is about to, something is next, then their journey is going to quickly become just this stagnant experience. And what Jesus models for us here is not something that's stagnant and stayed and just now you now you've got it all and it's all figured out and it just sits like this for the rest of time and no he modeled something here he models something dynamic not something static 
And when I was just praying and studying this this week, it reminded me, I, I, I took two courses and I'm an engineer by education. Uh, took two courses back to back during engineering years. One of them was called statics. The other one was called dynamics. The books looked very much the same. I can remember them vividly. They were these orange, almost orange with black on the top. The other one was orange with black on the top. So they were intended to be these back-to-back courses that you took. Well, statics for for an engineering study is, is exactly that. It's the study of things that don't move. The study of static things. It was teaching you how to engineer stuff for things that were intended to hold still and be the same from the moment you put them in place to forever. So things like buildings, bridges. And so, you know, I started kind of one of the earlier engineering courses that I took. And it was very, it was interesting. Uh, And quite honestly, the statics course I found to be fairly easy. And so then the next course was dynamics. And it was not like statics. In the dynamics course, things move. And oh my goodness, uh, those of you nerdy engineers in the room with me, you know, once things start to move, you got a whole nother set of equations on your hands and you have an unpredictability to them that is not like statics. And so I thought, oh, this is good. I mean, I kind of like statics. And this was, I did not like dynamics. And it was hard because stuff, when it starts to move, right? I mean, there's, there's, is it moving in a straight line? Is it moving in a constant velocity? What kind of acceleration forces are acting upon this object as it moves? Is it moving in a curve? Because if it's moving in a curve, you got a different set of forces operating on it. So basically when stuff moves and doesn't stay the same, it's, it's harder to interact with period. All right. Now test for you here. How many of us perhaps, and and this has been true in church history, but it can be true for each one of us. How many of us perhaps have turned discipleship into a statics course? We have turned it into sameness. It doesn't change. We figured certain things out. They're going to stay just like that, right? When you start to feel like that's what my Christian life is, Especially for those of us, and, and this is a, a mess, you know, if you're new to the kingdom of God, you're in your first couple of years here, uh, everything feels like a dynamics course, right? Every time you read the Bible, there's something you didn't see before. You know, fast forward 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, some of us been in the kingdom for a long time. And so we kind of stop seeing new things. We, we stop believing that this thing that is a certain way, oh, but next week, maybe not. A month from now, a year from now, right? So here we have a great moment for 2022 closure and 2023 beginning. What, what's 2023 going to be like in spiritual categories of your life, in the move of God among you and around you? Another version of 2022, just same sort of experiences, same stuff, same kind of Bible reading, same kind of go to church, same kind of experiences along the way. You know, we can do that. And I want to invite a hypercriticism of all of us who have been in the kingdom for 20, 30 plus years to be aware that we may have turned this thing into a statics course where once we've built our structures, it is what it is. So when was the last time you had a dynamic encounter with the presence of God in a meeting like this? 
Some of us can remember back when we first got saved. Boy, we had some dynamic encounters with God. When was the last time you got in your prayer closet and had a dynamic encounter with the glory and the presence of God? Well, Jesus brings some things up here that highlight the fact that right here is not like over there. Right now is not like what will be. I mean, you just got to hear it. If you read past this too quickly, you'll miss this. And let me just throw this out into some some vernacular. This, This is bigger than this topic, but it does not ignore this topic. There's a great sort of debate and wonder in the church about how these activities of God should continue or cease, right? That's that's kind of our language. There's cessationism, there's continuationism. Uh, I I just want you to hear something of Jesus. I want you to hear the tone because if, if you tend toward the cessationist kind of model, then you tend to have built staticness into your understanding of the kingdom. So you're kind of posturing yourself for things just to kind of be the same. Whereas when Jesus prays, what you hear him saying is, right here, not like over there. Right now, not like what's about to happen. And quite honestly, I'm going to pull you back into previous things to hear Jesus didn't start something revolutionary in John chapter 17. The whole Bible sounds this way. And we need to be ready to take a dynamics course and and not a statics course, right? So you're going to see in this brief couple of verses here, these concept words, right? I wrote this out in your outline. You can go meditate on it this week. There is a concept of with me, right? Jesus, I want them to be with me as opposed to what? Well, you should be asking that question as, as opposed to right here, right now. No, I want them to be with me in your presence. Do you have a concept for that, by the way? Because I know that's a, that's a challenge. Isn't, isn't God omnipresent? Is there a way not to be in his presence? Does Jesus know that the Father's omnipresent? Of course he knows. But he also knows there's something about with me and in your presence that's different than somewhere else. So he creates a concept. There's a concept of varying degrees of glory that's revealed in this passage. There's a glory that's yet to come. That he wants his disciples to experience. We'll unpack that. And then there's this whole idea that Jesus says he was manifesting the Father's nature. I have manifested your name. Right? Now, that doesn't mean he ran around with a placard, you know, like you're at the airport trying to pick somebody up uh, and you got the name above. Pastor Peter talked about this a few weeks back. You know, a person's name in scripture represents their character, their nature. Jesus says, I have manifested your name, your character, your nature. So there was something about if you bumped into Jesus, if you got around him, there was a manifestation there. And if you didn't bump into him, guess what? You didn't bump into that manifestation. You get that? Because if you don't, you're going to turn the Bible into a statics course. You're going to think that, hey, whether I get around Jesus or not, it doesn't really matter because God just does everything exactly the same way everywhere. No, he doesn't. And if you concluded that, what, how have you been reading your Bible? All over the Bible, there's something going on right here with God that ain't going on over there. There's something going on right now that wasn't happening not too long ago. And there's something going on in the future that's not happening right now. 
All right, so our lives are designed for that, that variety of interaction, those dynamic settings. So I'm putting your outline there, the presence of God, the seeing and experiencing of the glory of God and the manifesting of God's life are not static experiences. They are dynamic experiences. And we need to be prepared for that. Let me, let me, let me pull us into preparation mode here uh, in two groups. I'm going to pull us into two groups because I, I think this would be just helpful for us to think differently. All right, so in this setting today, gather here with us or those watching by live stream, uh, there are two categories maybe. There's more than that, but let me just pick on two. There are some here who your life feels like this. You're, you're kind of on the younger end of life. So when you look into the future, you got a lot of earth time left, right? Maybe you don't, but you know, God's in charge of that, but you got a lot of earth time left, right? So whatever you're planning, whatever you're thinking about, it's got a lot of earth associated with it. It's got stuff going on here. And, and then you get into an older range. And again, this is not like, I'm just going to sound like I'm trying to do a comedy sketch. I'm not, um, there's something in God that's eternally minded, so at some point, you don't have a lot of earth time left. You don't have a lot of earth left. So you start thinking and planning a certain way. And by the way, Jesus is praying about your non-earth experience here, right? He says, I want them to be with me where I am. Well, Jesus, this is his last night of earthly ministry. He's, he's about to wrap this up. He's praying about what comes after this. He's saying, I want them to be with me there. And I want them to see my glory, the glory that I had from the beginning. That's what I want them to experience. So if you're in the latter part of your earth time and your, your graduation is in sight, uh, Jesus actually wants you to be anticipating. Listen in on this prayer. And be thinking, whatever glory you have experienced of God here in your earth time, you're about to have your mind blown by what you're about to experience with him in another place, with him in the presence of the Father. So if you're in either one of those categories, right? if you're younger, you got some earth time left, which means you got some ministry time to do. And you need to answer yourself a hard question. Have you turned your faith into a statics course to where you're 20-something, you're 30-something, and you've stopped anticipating how God might do something glorious in and through your life, in your church, in the coming days? Have, is that happening? Is that going off in you? Are you, just, are you just here going through the motion? This Sunday, it'll be like last Sunday. Reading this book that I picked up or studying the scriptures or starting 2023, it'll just be like last year. Now, nobody says that because you'd sound like, what's, what's wrong with you? But you do know we can be believing that on the inside. We've lost our sense of anticipation. So if you're a young person here, I want you to anticipate more of the dynamics of the glory and presence and manifestations of God in your earth time. And if you're towards the end of earth time, I want you to anticipate with Jesus the glory that is to be revealed, the glory that's coming, that far exceeds anything you've experienced here because God is dynamic among us. So let me look first at presence, right? These passages in verse 24 says that they also may be with me where I am. All right, don't let 
another theological point reduce this one to nothing? Isn't God omnipresent? Yes. But Jesus highlights there is a with me where I am going on. When Jesus is in glory, he will no longer simply be emptied of everything of his godliness as he says he is in Philippians chapter 2 here. So he is capable of everywhereness. But I want them to be with me. There's a with the presence of God. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's a, that's a bit of a geographical statement. It's, it's an experiential setting that he is describing here. And he wants them to see my glory. Father, glorify me in your own presence. So there's even Jesus refers to a sense that I'm praying right now about something that even has a greater clarity to it. In your own presence, Jesus was aware. There's something about the Father's presence that's not the same everywhere. So let me install some, some language for us. That's all throughout scripture. I just grab you a few samplings here. The concept of nearness and farness. And hopefully you haven't made the mistake of thinking that, well, you know, since I was a kid, you know, I've always believed. Or, you know, I got saved years ago and, you know, me and God, hey, listen, listen, dude, I've read my Bible. And it's like, hey, me and God, we're always like this. What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about what the Bible talks about. I'm talking about the fact that there is a concept in the scriptures called nearness and farness. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. One of the most fundamental, important understandings that any human being can have is to start with the understanding that you and God aren't on good terms. That may not sound fun in a let's be positive world. Let's all just share good news and let's not say those kinds of things. But at one point you were far off, far removed from God. That's how the Bible described my life. I had to come to grips with the idea that no matter how cozy I thought I was to God, because the reality was I was near to the concept of God that I had created. I was really near to that. It's that right on top of me. I believe this, I believe that, I believe God would never, he's always like this. Well, that's not necessarily God. That's my concept of God. And that was really close to me. And the Bible comes along and says, oh, oh, by that way, Keith, at that time, you were far away from me. And the first thing that does for me, I mean, that sounds like not good news. Well, because it's not good news. And it puts me in a posture to move. It puts me in a posture to respond to that reality. So every one of us faced this experience. At one time, you were far off from God. The omnipresent God who knows every... Yeah, I was far off. James chapter 4, verse 8, speaks not to those who don't know God, but it speaks to those who do. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's not a verse given to those who have rejected God. James is speaking to disciples. 
He's commenting on the disciples that Jesus is equipping to do this discipleship project. He's telling them, hey, hey, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So there's something about the nearness of God that that is dialable. It can be experienced in varying ways. It's dynamic. Psalm 73, verse 28. The psalmist says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Psalm 73 is one of my favorite psalms. If you've interacted with it, you know it's the story of a man who begins to tell his experience out of the category as, you know, surely God is good. Surely he is. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. And he begins to tell the story of his slippage, about what happened in his life. And he, he tells of his travels, of living in a way that he looked out on the world and he saw evil people. He saw people who didn't give God the time of day. And he saw how well they were doing. How much their life was filled with good things. And then he looked at his own life and he thought, what about me? You know, things are going bad for me. Things are hard for me. You know, surely I've tried to pursue something and, and, and his heart got bitter. He even turns to God. He says, God, I was a brute towards you. He was full of anger. So in these moments, he describes himself in a way that advertises. This is what it sounds like to be far from God. And then he gets to this point where he says, until, there's this turning point in the psalm, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Well, you know what the sanctuary of God was? It was a place that God had taught the Israelites that there's going to be this one location where I'm going to manifest my presence among you. You come here, you have festivals, you approach me a certain way, and I'm going to be in that place, and I'm going to show my glory to you. When he got near to God, all of a sudden, lights begin to come on. And he realized these people who are on a temporary high, it's a temporary high. They're going to lose everything. God is going to turn in judgment upon these. However, for me, that's not the future I have. And all this clarity begins to come to him. What's the story of Psalm 73? It's one version of a man who's far from God and a version of a man who is near to God. In the nearness of God, clarity comes. He thinks accurately about who God is and the purposes that God has for his life. Luke chapter 10 Verse 8, Jesus is sending out his disciples. All right, so this is the project of discipleship and going to make disciples, similar to what we do. Luke 10, verse 8. Jesus told them, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Well, look at what he said right before that. Go and do these things. These kinds of things testify that the kingdom has come near to you. That's what you're explaining to them. The kingdom came near to you and, and people were healed. And demons were cast out. And the works of God were done in your setting. Oh, by the way, before we showed up as disciples, the kingdom was not near to you. That's what's in that verse. One day the kingdom was nearer than it was before. Does everybody get that? I mean, this is like I'm doing, this is Dynamics 101. In the uh, Bible, things were not the same. They suddenly changed when these disciples showed up. And that was like the day before yesterday. 
The disciples showed up and they were able to say, hey, hey, unlike Wednesday, the kingdom has come near to you. And that's what they were describing here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21, one more thought. It says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So again, this is, this is spoken to disciples. These are people who have chosen to follow Jesus. Their sins have been forgiven. They are accepted by God. Justification is not up for grabs. There is complete acceptance and justification in God when this passage speaks to these disciples. We have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The, the work of Christ is done. The acceptance of God is done. Justification has fully taken place. So it's accurate for me to say, hey, the people being discussed in this passage, they're as accepted by God as they're ever going to be. But they can still draw near to him. Do you see that in the passage? Because if you oversimplify the Bible and you take one concept and make it stamp out another concept, then, then, you, you, then you're going to turn the Bible into a statics course. It's like, well, when I prayed, I received all of God that I'm going to receive. And I'm as justified as I'm ever going to be. Well, uh, in a way, yeah, that's totally true. But that doesn't eradicate the idea that the Bible then turns around and says, let us draw near to God. There's something to be experienced and known in our nearness. Some of us, warning, some of us have no idea how far away we are. Some of us need to reconsider whether we're going to do 2023 at the distance that we were in 2022 from God with the dullness and the lack of delight and affection toward him. Oh, I'm not questioning whether we're saved. Maybe we should be. If you're far enough away, you should be. But there is a sense that that dullness and distance, it may not be a justification issue, but it certainly is a nearness issue. And nearness matters in the kingdom of God. Jesus prays about it. So I think I wrote in your outline, there is a static discipleship out there that doesn't anticipate the dynamic presence of God because it turns biblical statements of fullness into over-applied doctrine. And that will make it the hardest part for you to discern that. It takes one Bible truth and uses it in a way that over-applies it and therefore eliminates another Bible truth. And that is very hard to discern because you got your Bible in one hand. And you've drawn your conclusions from your Bible. And you start sounding and saying things like this. Hey, look. Um, you, know, I, you know, I don't come to church all the time just because, you, know, you know, for me, church is wherever I am with my Bible and with Jesus. That's, you know, it's just me and Jesus. Listen, I could, I've had some of my greatest moments just with my Bible sitting at the beach just looking at God's creation. All right, go for it. Uh, but can I just tell you, there's something different about here 
than there. And I can make a Bible case for that. There's something about God saying that he dwells in our midst in certain ways that's different. When two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. Well, wait a minute. We believe that God's omnipresent and we believe that when we got saved, we received all of God. Don't we believe all these things, Jesus? When he prays in John 17, when he validates the sense that God can be among us, in a way that's different and unique. This is intended to be an among us setting that doesn't have another setting like it. I love that you do family devotions. This ain't your family devotions. So, you know, everybody, and maybe, maybe I'm invading some space really awkwardly for you guys watching by live stream this morning. Maybe you're at home thinking, oh, you know, we've loved, we love the COVID season. Because it just, it just let us stay home and do family devotions together. Hey, well, you, and you could do those on Monday. You can do them on Saturday. You can do them every day if you'd like. But that setting is not this setting. The God who is present with you there, he is present differently here. Well, you know, we come, but, you know, we don't always come. All right. All right. But, but in, in, in doing that, you are avoiding a sense of the presence of God. Is this the only way God is present? No. You know, when, when, when Moses goes up on the mountain and encounters God on the top of the mountain and everybody down there at the bottom is watching this thing happen, is that the only way God is present in the universe? No. The Bible says he's upholding everything by the word of his power. So he's full time making sure the planets are spinning and not colliding into each other. But he's on that mountain with Moses in a very different way, isn't he? And aren't you glad because when I stare out at the planets, the planets reveal the glory of God. But you know what? They don't tell me don't kill each other. They don't even tell me there's, there's one true God and there's a bunch of false gods out there. They don't tell me that. They tell me there's a creator. And then they stop talking pretty quickly. And I need Moses to go hang out with God, get in God's presence and get some stuff written down to bring that back. Because that encounter with the presence of God was different than somewhere else. And so it is this morning. And the only thing different is maybe we've stopped anticipating that. Maybe we've turned church into a statics course. Maybe we just come and it's going to probably be like it always is. Now, well, that's a problem. Because God dynamically dwells in different places in different ways. And we, we might want to be prepared to meet him. You might want to wear sandals to church from now on, just in case you've got to take them off. Because God decides to show up in a way that kind of blows your mind, and this is holy ground, and oh my gosh, is, is it possible for me to get under the carpeting? But we don't anticipate that, do we? That's a statics course problem. The other thing that gets overapplied is kind of the thought, dude, You've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, man. Haven't you read your Bible? Yeah, I've read that. The, the very same Jesus who makes that available turns around and describes some things about himself, about his own ministry, and about the future that awaits, that advertises, you know, in an experiential way, in a manifest way. Father, I have manifested your life as opposed to what was going on before that. Well, not that. 
well, we've got everything in the Spirit. Well, then you have a hard time making sense of much of the Bible that pulls us into greater experiences of the presence of God. So some of us, some of us aren't charismatic for, for bad reasons. And, and this is a bad reason. The idea that we've just stopped believing that God does dynamic things among us. Jesus is praying for some dynamic stuff, right? He mentions glory. Let me move to that category next. Verse 24, that they also may be with me where I am, right? Again, different setting to see my glory. And then he clarifies that earlier in verse five, when he says the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's a different sort of glory. It's a different level of glory. It's a different experiencing of glory. It doesn't make any sense that Jesus has been among his disciples and he's just turning around and saying, hey, more of the same. I want them to be seeing some more of this. No, no, no. I want them to see something that's a little different. I want them to see the glory I had from the beginning. Well, what were they seeing right now? They were seeing a dialed back version of the glory of God. Right, when Jesus comes to earth, Philippians chapter 2 describes the version of glory that they get to see. Though he existed in the very form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That word is the word kenosis. It's the great kenosis. It's the mystery of how God in all of his power and eternity and characteristics, he becomes a man and he empties himself and he takes the form of a servant and Hebrews turns around and says for a little while he has made them lower than the angels so did Jesus have glory while he was here on earth yeah was it the glory that he was talking about that they were going to be about to receive no does that freak us out right you got to stop reading some of these things like there's a zero setting and a hundred setting it's either zero glory, it's a hundred glory. You know, so either got the spirit. It's, there, there's variation in how we experience these things. Jesus highlights that. There was a glory experienced here on earth. There was an earthly glory that Jesus revealed. Right, John chapter one, same gospel, opens this way. Verse one, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And it goes on and says, and all things came into existence through him. So take the glory of the creator, just thinking and saying, and everything just starts popping and existing. The expanse of the universe, just with one word from him, pops into existence. The details, the colors, the textures, the creatures, pop, pop. Everywhere he just thinks and says, thinks and says, the glory of his power on display. And then John 1, verse 14. That word, who was from the beginning, he became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We have seen. These disciples had seen the glory of God, but Jesus didn't have a problem saying, hey, oh, they have seen my glory. But I want them to be with me because I want them to see the glory I had from the beginning. That's dynamic, isn't it? That's a glory that says the glory that sometimes gets experienced 
can be eclipsed by even a greater glory that is going to be revealed. And this is exactly, remember that same Moses encountering God, right? Just within a matter of weeks, Moses has seen powerful glory from God. He's been in Egypt, all the reputation, all the authority, all the control, the most powerful ruler, the most powerful military. Nobody goes free from these guys. And he's standing in a new location and they're drowned in a sea. And all these plagues showed up one after another, calling the bluff of every false God in Egypt. God, one after the other, pointed them out. That thing's not a God. That's not a God. That's not a God. That's not a God. Does it 10 times in a row, releases his people. Moses, have you seen, if I met Moses on his way from Egypt to Mount Sinai, Moses, have you seen the glory of God? What would he have said to me? No, not really. He would have said yes, wouldn't he? And then he stands before God on holy ground. He encounters the presence of God. And you know what he asked God? Father. Well, he doesn't say father, but he says, God, show me your glory. Why is he asking that? Because he knows there's more. He knows he hasn't seen it all. And he had seen a few things, hadn't he? This dude can write a book. Well, I think he actually did. But uh, what a, what a pileup of incredible experiences this guy has had. And yet, oh, I want to be like this man. I want to be able to tell the most incredible stories that happened to me 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I want to be able to stand and say, God, I, I don't think I've seen the tip of the iceberg. Can, can you show me your glory? And God doesn't say, uh, Dude, I've already done like the full blast trick for you. What, what more do you want? He, he basically tells Moses, Moses, there's an infinite amount of glory that you can't digest. So let me see what I'll do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock and I'm going to cover you up and I'm going to race by you real quick. And just the last second before I'm imperceivable, which by the way, this is a presence thing, right? Is this going on everywhere when God does it? When God does this hide in the rock thing and, and he reveals his glory and he removes his hand at the last second, is that like everybody everywhere is having this encounter with God? Or is that only going on on the mountain up there? It's only going on on the mountain. We know that. And in this brief encounter, brief, God takes it away just as it's fading. And he reveals himself. And Moses has this encounter with these concepts, the Lord, the Lord God, right? Yahweh, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, right? This sense of God's glory overshadowing me, puts it into words, trying to explain what it is. I don't know. It was like this. It was like loving kindness. I don't know. It just flooded over me. It was overwhelming. And he tried to write down what it was. That he, it sounded like an echo that faded as fast as it came. And he tried to capture that. But it was God acknowledging, Moses, there is more to my glory than what you have seen. And that he showed him on earth. Right? So if you've got to be hiding in a cleft of a rock and God giving you a glimpse when he's traveling at a thousand miles an hour. What was Jesus talking about here? Father, I want them to be with me. I want them to have front row seats to see my glory that I had with you from the beginning. Whoo! 
Can you imagine? I can't. But it's something different than what they've been experiencing. But there's something in our soul that needs this. We, we need to anticipate greater glory. Right? You'll, you'll hear it throughout Scripture. At 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, Right? There's a little bit of an Old Testament shadow right there. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So Paul is able to stand and say, yesterday, this degree of glory I knew, I experienced. It touched me and affected me. But then I was further transformed. And this week, now this degree of glory I'm experiencing in my life. So that's supposed to be the Christian story from one degree of glory to another as God reveals more and more about himself. Then the next verse after saying this at the close of chapter three, remember Bible verses are added. Second uh, Corinthians four, chapter one begins. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So there's a losing heart Paul's trying to impact. And later in that same section, verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Renewed like what? Well, from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. And if you and I stop experiencing, if we become static in experiencing one degree of glory to another, we will become discouraged and lose heart. You do not want to turn Christianity into a statics course where, hey, um, you know, me and God are about the same level we were 10 years ago. And there's too many of us in this room that can say that. And the sense of discouragement that comes with that, because that's not how we're designed. We are designed to go from one degree of glory to another because glory is a dynamic thing. It moves in God. So whether you are young or whether you are older, whether you've got a lot of years left on this earth or whether you are about to enter into a cosmic explosion of God's glory, None of us should be sitting in here approaching the end of this year, the beginning of a new one with the idea that, hey, the same glory from last year and the year before that and the last 10 years, by the way, as well. No, no, we're supposed to encounter the glory of God. Peter exhorted the elders in 1 Peter 5 when he says, so I exhort the elders among you, right? Everybody who's an elder, everybody, I don't mean older, I mean governing, leading the church, everybody who's leadership oriented in the church. Listen to this. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Going to be. Whatever glory you've experienced, there's something else going to be revealed. There's more that God is going to do. All right, let me touch that last category. Jesus mentions that he has been manifesting the Father. That's what he's been doing. He is a manifestation of the Father on earth. John 17, verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name. 
among the ones you've given me. I have manifested the Father among those whom you have given me. If you extract Jesus from that setting, that manifestation goes with him. Do you get that? There are those who walk with Jesus that he said, this is what I've been doing with them. I have been manifesting. I have been making it real, tangible, touchable, experiential to those whom you've given. I have done that with the Father. I have brought the Father into their lives to be experienced and known by them. Which is why Jesus is a little bit puzzled with Philip's question. Remember John 14? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You want to answer for Philip? I could probably answer for Philip. I just would say, well, Jesus, there's... There's just a lot of things I don't notice that you're doing. And if you turn walking with God into a statics course, you stop looking for things. You stop looking for them to be different. You stop looking for a greater thing because it's just going to kind of be more. And listen, I don't nobody signs on for this intentionally. We do it out of bad habit. But, you know, Philip... He's, he's one of the 12. Dude's got a little greater resume. His name's in the Bible. My name's not in the Bible. This guy is somebody. And he's asking a dumb question. Still, Philip, you don't get it? Still, Keith, you don't get it? Come show me. I've been showing you, knucklehead. You are so dull. This is what I mean, that, that you, can, you can be too far away from what God is doing right now. Because he was manifesting the Father. And Jesus, and Jesus gets to the end of his time with them. And he prays that, Father, I've been, I've been manifesting you to these. Now, what's interesting in that moment is this idea of manifestation is not exactly new. Jesus pointed to manifestations that were going to be happening, right? So this is, this is Jesus speaking about something that's coming. Here's the anticipation of manifestations. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 37, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, better translation is innermost being, just the, the deep insides of us. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers, will flow rivers. Not yet, but will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, but as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What, what is Jesus doing right there? He is anticipating something. He is anticipating that there's coming a day 
when the Spirit is going to be in your life in such a way and manifesting through, it's going to, it's going to be like a river flowing out of you. And he sets the setting to those who are thirsty. So not only do they not have a river, they don't even have a cup. They're thirsty. And Jesus says, oh, well, anticipate this. Because what's coming is going to be like a river in your life. So I got to ask myself, I walked and prayed last night. And I thought, Lord, am I anticipating a river? You said a river. I feel like Philip. Lord. All you charismatics out there have been around charismatic for a while. Ever asked this dumb Philip question? Lord. Where's the spirit? Where's the spirit among us? How many of you have ever said this? Don't raise your hands. The spirit's not moving in the church. I've said, I've said that. I wrestled with that a lot. And then I also have to get in line behind Philip and maybe have the Lord say, really? My spirit's not? Moving among you? Is that true or is it you just dull and Philip-like? Show me the spirit. Jesus, has the spirit been among you all this time and you can't tell? Right, so there's a little humble dimension of that. Can everybody who's ever said that, can you be humble by the thought that maybe I'm like Philip? In the same way that the father had been manifest among them the whole time. And he's like, is the Father going to show up anytime soon, Jesus? Really, Philip? That's your question after all this time. And we get some of that question to ourselves. But there's this river to be anticipated. John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will, he will, in the future, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you, but he will be in you. That's anticipatory language, isn't it? He's with you, but he's going to be in you. Doesn't something inside of you go, oh, what's that going to be like? He's been with us, but he's going to be in us. And then he says it again, John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Wait, because you're going to the Father, what's that got to do with this? Well, I just said in the other passage, when I ascend to the Father, he's going to give the Spirit like a river rushing in and out of you. So that's what I mean. When I go to the Father, this is going to, so that's a future thing, right? There's a dynamic about to happen. Something of the Spirit is going to now begin to operate in a way that's different, not static. And even Jesus says, the things you've seen me do, you do greater things than that. That's pretty dynamic, isn't it? These are powerful concepts. Last thought, I'll put in that little section for you. When one brings all these passages from John together, we're left with a posture of anticipating more. Only this setting of more, it's not in heaven. It's on earth. It is the coming age of the spirit from Pentecost until Jesus comes back. That zone is what Jesus was referring to. There's coming a day. You shall receive power. All that anticipatory language, it had a parenthesis in it. It starts at Pentecost and it runs until Jesus returns. It's the age of the spirit. 
Do I anticipate the spirit in my midst or have I turned the spirit into a statics course and whatever I have experienced is the only thing I ever will. I've never prayed for anybody and seen them healed. Uh, okay. That's not a statics course though. It's a dynamics course. 2023, you could pray for somebody and they could be healed. But if you stop praying, well, I don't see, you know, I asked for this gift or that gift. I didn't have it. It's not a statics course. The coming year could come and God could suddenly show up. You've got a problem in your life. This, this, is why, this is why charismatic dimensions should have dynamic opportunities to them. Because whatever was happening in our lives five minutes ago doesn't guarantee it's going to happen five minutes from now. Because God can show up and interrupt it whenever he wants to. And he gives demonstration for that. He acts like that's exactly what I'm doing. When Jesus said, hey, I'm sending out my disciples. They're going to show up in your village. They're going to put on a fireworks show. And you're going to know the kingdom came near to you. Now, I'm going to just tell you all the dead stuff going on there before they arrived. Because the kingdom was not near to you. But they brought the kingdom with them. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Bring the kingdom near to people. But maybe I swung and missed last year for the last 10 years. Maybe my experience doesn't line up with some of these highfalutin, powerful verses in the scriptures. All right, but, but none of us, none of us have permission to turn the Bible into a statics course where everything that is, is what it's always going to be. And, and listen, there are reasons in God that you and I can't always figure out. But the anticipation elements, the looking to and looking for elements, what, what, what's that going to look like? I, I came across this just reading great statement. This is from the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. Hope you guys have been familiar with that. We preached from it last summer. Um, Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith on the empowering ministry of the Spirit. Listen to these words. Very helpful. It says this. This is what we believe as a church. When Christ ascended... He poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power among his people. What came in this moment was a greater experience of God's presence and power. The first thing for me to receive that, I've got to jettison the idea that no, no, no. God's presence is the same everywhere. No, not in the Bible, it's not. So if God ushers in a time in which his presence is going to be more powerfully impacting, more known and experienced by people, that's not weird. It's all over the Bible. So the first thing I've got to do before I turn into a cessationist is acknowledge that whether you think this is, this is about that weird tongue stuff and people prophesying things. All right. Pull that out of the conversation. Do you recognize that the God who is in the Bible is not on every page exactly the same way? He has manifest some places in ways that blow your mind and he's quiet in others. And he describes some places as being near to him and some places not being near to him. So if a day comes where Jesus proclaims this, ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power, it's because God's presence and God's power can be experienced in a variety of ways. Which means, however bad 2022 has been, and the power of God and the presence of God can show up in 2023 totally differently. What hope does that bring into my life? 
that God is that kind of God. Whatever need I'm facing. The statement goes on and says, the spirit transforms hearts by the miracle of regeneration and indwells all believers in abundant new covenant measure. The spirit also desires to fill God's people continually with increased power, increased power. Not just more of the same. That's just a recapturing of the glory days. How many of you guys got some glory days in your Christianity? Remember when? Remember back in the day? What if God wants increased power from the back in the day moments that we're thinking about? To be filled with the Spirit is to be more fully under His influence, more aware of His presence. Philip, could you use some help with that, Philip? Yep, I could and more effective in his service. All Christians, therefore, must, must continually seek. This, this is what, if you're taking a dynamics class, if this is a dynamics class, these words characterize our lives. If it's a statics class, what I'm about to read does not characterize our lives. But if this is a dynamics class, then we are, therefore, we must continually seek, continually seek to be filled with the Spirit by the living and praying in such a way that invites the Spirit's work among us, actively longing for God to accomplish his gracious purposes in us and through us. It's a continual, it's a leaning in, it's a posture of what God might do. It's a being in this room this morning with the thought of what might God do in my life? Does he do new things? Does he do powerful things? Does his presence come near? Does he manifest himself in a way that might touch my life in a way that's never been touched before? Does he give gifts and abilities and callings? Yes, in the Bible, he does it all over the place. And Jesus prays that that would be our experience. That we would know this greater glory than what we have known already. Seth, can I get you to come back up here? Father, Jesus said, Father, I have manifested your name. That word, it's a a making real. It's a making known word. It's an experiential thing that they went through. All right, so when Jesus passes the baton to his disciples, he tells them the spirit now the way in which Jesus was manifesting the Father, you and I are manifesting the Spirit. And I hope I can say this. I hope I can get to the end of my time. This is Jesus, the closing night of his time of his ministry upon the earth. Father, I have manifested your name. We can get to the end of my life. I have manifested the Spirit. Because that's the manifestation that we're given. right? You guys, you've read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are varieties of gifts, not static, but dynamic, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Listen, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. And then it unpacks a variety of ways of that could be happening in and through us to one is given the spirit 
the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy. Right? All these descriptions are simply saying there is a manifestation of the Spirit given to the church. The expectation that Jesus would say, I have manifested the Father to those whom you have given me. The Christian is in a place to get to the end of our run here on this earth and say, I have manifested the spirit to those whom you have given me. That's a big deal. I think the thing that I would draw from observing this, whether, whether I'm young or whether I'm old, whether I've been saved a brief time or I've been saved a long time, is just a check in my own heart. Have I, have I lost my sense of anticipation? I need to overhear Jesus praying to the Father in such a way that it sounded like, wow, he's expecting a lot. He's expecting serious encounters with the presence and the glory of God. And places and moments where the life of God is manifest in a way that, wow, that's, that's what I heard him say. Hey, guys, I was overhearing Jesus pray about our future. And it just sounded radical, man, crazy. He's expecting some severe, incredible stuff to take place. And he kind of knows what he's talking about. Are you in a static place? And you're encountering the presence of God in your pursuit, and you're wanting to be filled with God. Filling of the Spirit, the rich encounter again and again and again of the nearness and the presence of God. Our, our young people, it's not enough on the radar of our young people. You got a lot of years left of earth life, of ministry here. You need to pursue the filling of the spirit again and again and again and again so that God touches your life and takes you from one degree of glory to another so that he unleashes gifts and the move of the spirit to spill out on your generation and on others. It's not enough. Your parents have these great cool stories about when they were back in the day and stuff happened and we went to church and whoo, this thing happened and whoo, that thing happened. They're old stories. They're great stories. But some of us older people need some new stories. And some of you younger people need a story at all. This is a dynamics course. It's 2022. It's coming to an end, right? I'm beginning to think about 2023. But if I look into that year and I'm, I'm an engineer who's engineering stuff for statics, then I'm, I'm going to make a massive mistake in how I plan for 2023. Because I'm going to build 2023 out of something just like 2022. And what a mistake that's going to be. Are you doing that? Do you start thinking into 2023? 
how God wants to do something in your life. He's a dynamic God. He wants to do some dynamic things. Let's stand up together and pray. Before I pray for us, if you're here this morning, you just want some folks to pray with you about something, I just invite you to come make your way forward. Our prayer team will meet you here. And let's never stop believing. Oh, we need some help in this category. Never stop believing that whatever happens five minutes ago to you can be changed five minutes from now. In a moment, in a prayer, in the coming of the Spirit of God in some particular way in your life. Don't, don't think, oh, it took me 20 years to get into this mess. It, it, it doesn't take God as long to fix our messes as it does take us to make them. He can show up in a moment and do incredible things. So if you, if you need prayer this morning, God is just speaking to you about something. You just want some folks to agree with you. While we're praying, just come and make your way up this way and let them pray for you. Let's pray together. Lord, what an evening we got to listen in on as we interacted with this passage. God, if we were on the edge of where you were kneeling or our ear was to the door, Father, I want them, I want them to be where I am. I want them to be with me in your presence. And I want them to see something. The glory that I had from the beginning. Lord, thank you for wanting more for us. Thank you for asking the Father for more for us. Lord, thank you that that greets us wherever we are with the news that you're not done and we're not stuck and we're not going to stay right where we are just like we are. You have every intention to take us from one degree of glory to another. To take us to places where your presence is manifest in such a way that it affects us. It informs us. Father, we're closing out a year. Closing out what's felt like a long season. COVID influence. All kinds of struggles been in our world. Lord, we're not looking to build something just like that into the future. God, rescue us from being static. God, pull us into what is dynamic. Pull us into what you want to do next. Pull us into how you can invade something, slam the brakes on it, and reinvent something. Raise from the dead things. Heal that which has been lame. Save those who are unsaved. Encourage those who have been discouraged and depressed. Lord, you are the God who does those dynamic things among us. God, would you make 2023 a dynamics course where we struggle to keep up with how God does this and he does that and he does this and he does that and we see you in our midst. Lord, I pray that for young and old here. God, I pray you'd start a new day amongst our young people where there's stories to be told. You would create one story after another of visiting with God on the mountain and encountering something that just left me changed. I'm having a hard time putting it into the words. God revealed something of his glory to me and undid me. Lord, get our 15-year-olds and our 20-year-olds, our 25-year-olds and our 30-year-olds. God, give them stories to tell about what you are like. 
greater glory revealed, greater presence near to their lives. Well, let that be the story at Lakeview Christian Center. God, we pray for the church in America. Oh, Lord, you are so misrepresented in this land. A stagnant God, some God in a book, way long ago who said some things that sound like rules that everybody's just got to hate each other over until they start behaving the way the members of the club say they should. That's not the glorious God revealed in these scriptures. Lord, you are dynamic and powerful and your presence, there's nothing like it. God, we pray for ourselves, we pray for our own church, we pray for the churches in this country. God, that you would awaken us. You would bring to us a greater sense of your nearness, Lord. Certainly your nearness is like nothing else. Certainly the nearness of God is our good. Lord, may that be our story, ever increasing. As you give us a heart, Lord, to not be static in our anticipation, but God, to be dynamic. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys. You guys... You didn't get to be here with us. We love you. Hope to see you soon. Hope you can make it next week. Come join us. There's something about being here that's different about being anywhere else. Amen.